Okay, everybody listening. We've got some exciting news. Exciting. So you might be a long-time listener. Maybe you've been listening to us since the beginning. Or maybe today is the first time you are listening to Techish. Well, whoever you are, this message is for you. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurial, enterprising, problem-solving, Hustlers. creative. Exactly. Ideas people. And as a thank you for listening to Techish, and also as a way to give back to our community, we are setting up the Techish Fund, which is a giveaway of money to go towards whatever it is you need at this point in your life. This giveaway is open internationally and it's open to anyone who listens to our podcast. We'll be giving away 1500 US dollars to one of our listeners and this is all you have to do to enter the giveaway. A few simple steps, four simple steps. One, you got to be a follower of the podcast because the giveaway is only open to our followers. Follow the podcast wherever you listen to it if you're not already following us. So that could be Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Secondly, you got to leave us a five-star review and this does have to be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Third, leave us a comment on the review section of Apple Podcasts telling us what you like about the podcast because we love to hear them. We love to read them. And finally, step four, email us with the subject line Techish Giveaway at techishpod at gmail.com. And make sure you include a screenshot showing that you're following the podcast and a screenshot of the comments you've left on Apple Podcasts. So it's that simple. The giveaway will be open for a month from today. So it's going to close on the 7th of May. We're going to select a winner randomly and we'll contact you directly after the podcast. So yeah, hope it goes well. Hope you guys enjoy it. And who knows, maybe we'll increase the fund in future. Terms and conditions will be in the show notes as well. Please check the terms and conditions. Welcome back to brand new Techish. We back in the building, yeah. recording remotely. It's me, Michael Behane, and I am with Abadesi. Abadesi, the champ. Yeah. Woo. So I want to start quickly talking about apparently now Airbnb will let all of its employees work remotely. Airbnb um, always anywhere. coming out with their good PR. But you know what? Though my initial reaction was like, right, this is kind of late, considering that you're the very same company that enables remote <laughs> work. Like, how many digital nomads have basically you know used Airbnb to you know to get about and live their lives, right? And Airbnb is that place that you would think would be the company to do this right but credit where credit's due they've done it now and i think the most important part is they're going to say being, that salaries it being that employees can work anywhere in the world yes sorry yeah to clarify and also that if you are working anywhere within the u.s your salary will be kept the same so if you've got a san francisco salary and then now you're moving to like i don't know the middle of nowhere in america you will still get your sf salary right so that's definitely like quite a brave move because i know a lot of companies were trying to do this whole you know fugazi thing of like oh well you know we've got to kind of you know factor that in blah 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 blah. so what's what's your thoughts on on this whole uh shenanigans Do you know what's so funny? I feel like I'm the person on this show that's always just like default. Like, I love Airbnb. Everything they do is amazing. Oh my God, this is so cool. But like for once, I was actually like, we need to peel back the layers a little bit on this. Like we legit need to peel back the layers a little bit on this. Because look, on face value, the idea that an employee can live anywhere and work anywhere sounds amazing, right? Because many of us still remember being locked out locked down in our tiny urban apartments or at our parents' house or whatever. And just being like, I could be on a beach in Bali right now. Or like, I don't know, I could be in the forest of Rwanda right now. Well, get good Wi-Fi wherever you go, but you know what I mean? And like Mm -hmm. at face value, I was like, okay, this is really cool. This is really exciting. But then I started peeling back the layers a little bit, right? So they've already earmarked cities where if you want to move there, you can go there. So Seoul, South Korea, London, apparently it's too complicated, you know, for the company to support you 
moving there. So that's the first thing. You can't work there. And the oh, second- no, 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 no. Let me clarify. It's basically if you want to maintain your salary mm. at your American level, you can't move to those kind of cities, basically. But right. within America, you can maintain, they can move wherever they want. But like, if you try to move to like, you know, Hungary, all of a sudden trying to, you know, and get that kind of arbitrage or salary, yeah. they're going to be like, we can't, like right now, legally, we can't figure that out for you, basically, which eh, sounds a bit fishy. One of the things that I've decided is a company is never going to do anything purely for employee experience gains. Like that Mm. would never happen. Like there's always a reason why like it's justified economically to the board, to the investors as actually being cost effective, like tactic or something that's going to help them maybe with their talent acquisition goals. You know what I mean? And Mm. like Airbnb laid off a lot of people at the start of the pandemic. Now they're saying, Hey, everyone, you can work from anywhere. Well, asterisk, you know, a few conditions. The things that I'm really worried about are like, what happens when you try to get hired into Airbnb now in a city Mm -hmm. that has like high salaries? Are you going to be told like, oh, we're remote friendly, Abadesi, we can't pay you your high London six-figure salary because you can work anywhere. Like what happens when you're already on a high salary and you want to like join that company? Like how is that impacted? The second thing is like, there are people that have said they want a hybrid, right? Like they don't want to just be fully remote. They want a little bit of everything. And I'm just curious, like what happens to those people that still want that? like want to meet with their team, want to meet with their manager, what happens to like junior employees that just have very little like real life work experience that need that. I'm just saying for me, the jury's still out. How about you? I see it primarily as a positive. I think it's definitely interesting to see what happens with newer employees. You're right. Like, you know, will they now basically offer cheaper salaries to newer employees, but just keep grandfathering the existing employees with the high SF salaries. So let's see, let's keep an eye on that one. But in general, I think it's cool. I think they will do like regular meetups, they are saying. And I think if you want to go to the office, you probably can. I haven't seen anything about them saying, we're shutting down an office, no one can go in there. Yeah. Right. So I'm sure they will maintain offices for some time. So if you want to come in, you come in, you know what I'm saying? They're not saying you have to work remotely. They're just saying, if you want to work remotely, you can. Now, in terms of like, are they doing anything, you know, that doesn't benefit themselves? I think talent retention is something that benefits yourself. Like I spend so much time at my company trying and be like, how can I get everyone happy? How can I don't leave, please? Because the time it takes me to onboard you, and then if you stay for like a year and then you want to leave, the last two months you kind of already checked out. So I've just basically wasted like bare time trying to onboard you, and you weren't happy. So I'm always trying to keep people happy. Like it costs bare money to like lose people and to keep hiring people. So for them to say this is our competitive advantage, stay at Airbnb because we will allow you to live this life. If you're at Apple, you got to come into the office. If you're at yeah. Google, they're going to try and force you to come into the office. We're the company that you know you, that is remote friendly right so to i'm me, gonna challenge it, it, that go i'm gonna challenge that okay being remote friendly alone is not what right. makes an employee experience good do you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's also like yeah. creating like the systems and the culture and the incentives and the penalties that support flexible remote work and what i don't like about a lot of companies that are like oh we're remote friendly we're remote hybrid we're this that or the other it's such a loose label it's then mm-hmm. left to managers and teams and individuals to create their own norms within this hybrid model. And that puts like a lot of emotional labor on people, a lot of like confusion, a lot of distress, a lot of extra stress because companies haven't designed like here are rules for running a meeting remote here. Here's our expectation of like when you're going to join the meeting, when you're going to leave the meeting, how often you're going to meet up, how often you're going to not meet up, whether there should be a phone call or a video call. There are all these decisions that have to be made catering to the different lived experiences for remote hybrid to be successful. But a lot of companies are just kind of going, okay, we're remote hybrid now. Now go sort it out yourselves. And that creates huge inequities Mm. within teams. Airbnb is a massive organization. Your company is quite small. So you probably have good visibility over everyone and what they're doing. But in a company like Airbnb, there could be some teams that are having the best time of their lives in this new remote hybrid place. But there could be some other teams maybe with like less 
engaged leadership or whatever who are just like left free falling wondering what's going on yeah you know what there's probably a gap in the market for like some kind of remote consultancy because so yes. many companies now are moving into this world and it's brand new people are still figuring it out like i wouldn't even say it's particularly nefarious it's more to do with the fact that no one's done this before really at this scale yeah and a lot of companies are trying this thing um, i'm sure there is some nefarious stuff we're going to talk about that later actually in terms of like software or spying on employees hopefully Ooh, but like yes yeah, that's scary but there probably is a space for someone to come in and say, yo, we will tell you best practice. These are the companies that have implemented remote work successfully, found the balance, pay us a whole bunch of money. Uh, we'll, we'll, but do you I know will what? show you how to do it, basically. <laughs> McKinsey's you know probably doing it. Uh, yeah, maybe. Accenture's if doing not, it. That's a business idea. But if you want to steal that, if they're not. If I'm honest, like not trying to like literally plug Hustle Crew, but it's an inclusion. Like it is an inclusion plug exercise. Yeah. Because, but what you're trying to say to the company is like, you're trying to tell leaders of a company, like, are you equipping your team with the tools they need to succeed, regardless of their lived experience, regardless of their background? Like, can you in confidence say that you've done that? Not just in an office, but even in a remote friendly world. Now we all right. remember the office-based world. Office-based world was not inclusive. They didn't have prayer rooms. They didn't have like breastfeeding rooms. Like it was all designed through the like image of like the male experience and what they want. We couldn't even get the temperatures yeah. right up in there Yeah, because men, Explain that. you know what I'm Explain saying? That like, one. Explain that one. Explain okay. the temperature thing. So a lot of people feel cold in the office, right? Go, yeah. go into the meeting room. All the women's are like, can I put on my sweater, put on my jumper? Meanwhile, the guy's like, oh, the temperature's fine. And what they found, yeah. multiple studies conducted in different parts of the Western world found that men like the aircon up real high because they're running at a like higher body temperature. Whereas women yeah. are more like, yeah, basically we wanted a bit warmer and that's it. So yeah. we have different preferred temperatures and office temperature defaults to male preferences. There's even been a study that shows that men pushed for the early start in the morning because like again like studies showed that like men were just like alert in the mornings versus women like <laughs> i don't even <laughs> yeah, true that like what kind of guy was that but anyway all i'm trying to say is like we already know from all of the amazing data that's been gathered about just working IRL together, how that experience was shaped by the dominant groups and made it very unpleasant for everyone else who is out there. And the same thing is going to happen with remote work. The same thing is going to happen in remote work. Don't get me wrong. There are benefits to it. I love working remotely. In many ways, I feel safer in my home than I did in the office. But there's mm -hmm. still all of these like existing like gaps of knowledge. How do I get promoted in a remote world? How do I stay visible in a remote world, especially as an underrepresented person? A lot of companies don't have the answers to those questions and guess what the status quo will be maintained yeah you know what let's move on to kind of like it's been called bossware in it so spyware mm. funny terminology basically it's basically any software that allows a company to spy on their employees to kind oh of Lord. measure their productivity without often their consent right so there was a survey of a thousand u.s employees they found that 60 percent basically were using some sort of like work monitoring 60%. software um, now bear in mind this is not tech company so this is not necessarily like maybe you know what you might find in kind of the quote-unquote futuristic companies that are meant to you know permeate Silicon Valley but this is general US employers right and nine out of ten of those companies said they had terminated workers after implementing such software these softwares can track your keystroke take screenshots and record mouse movements and activate wow. your webcam and microphones and periodically you can take a, a picture without you knowing that's mad so I'm just reading that w what say you do you think Okay, obviously we know objectively this is a bad thing, but do you think this is going to be a more common thing? Or do you think we're going to go into a world where people are going to be like, no, we don't really need this? Or do you oh. think... I think I know the answer, but... Airbnb's you, already installed it. No, <laughs> 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 I don't know that for sure. Uh, but I think we're definitely 
definitely going to see more of this. And we're going to see it normalized by some of the like biggest, you know, quotation marks, liberal progressive companies. Cause I see the headlines, you know, I see the headlines about companies like Apple and Facebook and Google struggling to get tens of thousands of employees back into the office. It's just a matter of time before like even the most, you know, respected employer brands right. are going to be using this because the conversation is going to happen like this. We aren't hitting our profit. We aren't hitting our revenue. We need to explore every conceivable reason why there's macro events, obviously, but yeah. those are uncontrollable, right? We like to focus on what we can control. And here it could be like, no, people just being lazy. We need to spy <laughs> on people. We need to stop them from being lazy. And I can see like, oh, you know, I spend a lot of time in like those kinds of executive conversations myself through my other role. And I just see like how it always just comes back to these just like basic whatever instincts and emotions like fear, greed, whatever. Right. And it's so, so troubling, but I see it happening and I can a hundred percent see how employers would find a way to justify this use. You have to remember, there are still a lot of people working out there, including in the tech industry on a timesheet model. There are a right. lot of people who literally have to yeah. say, this is what I did for 30 minutes. Then I did that for one hour. In a way, this is just like a digital version of that. But what is scary is the fact that now it's supposed to be foolproof because it's AI powered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, The Guardian broke their story. So that's a really good read if you haven't The Guardian on Bossware. But they were talking about how, like, you effectively have to define what the program sees as work. Right? Right. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially, you know, people working on a screen, their work is quite nuanced, right? So I've mm -hmm. been staring at whatever, the same page for 30 minutes. It looks like I'm not working. I'm reading an article. It's complicated. I'm taking notes. I'm going to then turn mm -hmm. this into a presentation or a talk. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's quite terrifying. I guess the bigger question is one, will employers have to state out front, for example, on a job ad that they use this kind of software because the second point, that for me is a turnoff. As a potential Absolutely. candidate, I do not want to work at a company that uses that. Like to me, that corporate value is we don't trust you as individuals, so we monitor mm -hmm. you. I definitely would have advised if I was working at Big Tech, I would definitely use a separate laptop for all kinds of like personal stuff, whether that's watching Netflix or whatever. Do not use your oh, work device 100. for anything that's not work related, basically. Just as I think. And um the people who are kind of like fucking it up or messing it up for everyone else, although I kind of rate and respect them, are the people with like and I don't think we spoke about this, but the people who have apparently got like 10 remote jobs at the same time. Like I don't right. know if you've heard about this like, like there was a post so of Hacker News software where engineers <laughs> yeah there was a guy on Hacker News that was like I've got 10 remote jobs at the moment oh I've got goodness. a run rate of 5.2 million dollars this what? year I get fired by the time by the time they fired me I've already moved on to another one kind of thing and I have heard of like people doing two jobs but so I don't know if this 10 person job one was actually real but it does speak to the fact that in a lot of companies like you're probably only getting like two to three hours of productivity mm -hmm. in during a day because you're a human being like you can't be productive for eight hours right yeah so I don't know whether this means that we should actually have a four-day work because it means that actually most people are not working, you know, nonstop throughout during an eight hour, five times a week. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see in it. What, what do you think about people having 10 remote jobs simultaneously? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's diminishing returns very quickly, not just on your own like mental well being, but also like on your tax burden, surely. Yeah, that's true. Because but it's a quick it's cash like, grab. It's a quick cash grab though, isn't it? You do it for a year and then the you retire. Incremental, I'm, I'm thinking of like a standard progressive tax model like used in the US or the UK, like over a certain yeah. amount of money, you're being taxed at such a higher level of income. Is it worth it? In the UK, for sure, no, it's definitely not worth it. US, I know it in is. the US, it probably could be. Yeah. But in the UK, everything over that is just like 50%. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but what do I think about that in general? I think it's hilarious. Like it's absurd. It's, you know, a version of me is almost disgusted by it, but another version of me just finds it hilarious that we were just living in a system you know like don't hate the player hate the game yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, what yeah. is that how is that possible <laughs> shout out to that person <laughs> okay so michael have you heard of to i have heard of to <laughs> 
referring to the <laughs> to the Netflix sound. The Netflix sound, but it's also a, a fan-focused website mm-hmm. that was created by Netflix, Netflix's marketing department, as an opportunity to let fans go beyond behind the scenes of right. their favorite shows. They hired a lot of incredible writers, mostly women of color. Mm-hmm. And recently, a whole team of about a dozen of them were laid off. Right. Now, what's really crazy about this is the women who were laid off were extremely talented. They were headhunted quite aggressively by this yep. big tech company. They were promised, you know, the world, the sun, the moon, the stars. And seven months later, things are on on track to be shuttered and they're out of work yeah. and they're out of jobs. So I think what's really messed up about this is how that decision was made internally to let mm. these layoffs happen and let that go ahead and how it's probably just a reminder. I mean, obviously, Bazama St. John is no longer the company, but like maybe just like has you thinking like, were there women of color in that room when a decision was made that all of these roles should be axed? Just not right. really like having a sense of care, not even the optics of it, because obviously the optics of it look bad, trash, but just yeah. the actual material real life circumstances that you've taken a dozen incredibly talented people from underrepresented groups, from marginalized groups, saw that none of this is incredible opportunity. They've turned down other opportunities to take the risk. And then it's just mm-hmm. like business decision, shut it down, let it go. Like, how could something like that happen? Yeah. I mean, you know, I hope those all those individuals involved get a new job. First things first, obviously. How can something like this happen? Yeah. What I find perplexing is that obviously the senior leadership in Netflix obviously knew the numbers weren't looking good before mm. these were announced to the public markets. They knew probably for months on end, we're not going to hit our targets. You don't get surprised and be like, oh my God, like on a day of announcement, this, these numbers, we realized that we fucked up or things yeah. are not looking good for us. So why is it that it takes so long for that information to trickle down throughout the company? I guess they have to kind of protect it maybe for like legal reasons. So yeah. that like, you know, someone doesn't trade on information. I don't know. But people were still actively getting hired and recruited six months ago, a year ago, right? And mm-hmm. it, it makes no sense to me. The other thing is, obviously, we kind of know this. When things are a bit rocky, first things to get cut, anything to do with quote unquote diversity. I'm not going to lie to you. They just, that's how it is. I, I hate to use that word diversity because it doesn't really mean anything. Accurate, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It's a meaningless <laughs> word, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. Anything to do with, you know, diverse voices. Challenging or- the status quo. Challenging the status quo or, you know, yeah, they're just, that's the first thing to get cut, you mm. know, and that's an unfortunate thing. But that makes yeah, me shame. angry. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it makes me really angry because two years ago we were living in a world where it was all that people could talk about, how broken the system was, how dangerous right. the status quo was, the consequences of living in that reality. And now... It's just like, oh, Over, there's a bit of like a threat of, you know, recession, fear of money running out. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, was that a value? Was that not a value? And this is what I was saying, like not enough progress has been made in this short window of time where we were able to capture people's attention and, and talk about, you know, how the business world needs to adapt and needs to change and needs to take these issues seriously. And now literally... It's just right. like, yeah, cool. Let those women go. Move on. And yeah, I think it's definitely an industry-wide phenomenon. I think in Netflix's case, you can't deny the fact there are structural reasons within the company that is basically they are in trouble to a certain extent. Yeah. Not in a legitimate sense. They're still a billion-dollar company. The share but price about The it, share yeah. price has dropped, and the future of what they thought might have been a rosy scenario might not be as rosy as it, as it once was. They're swarmed by competition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Listen to our last episode to get uh, more details. So they've just panicked and just pulled the plug on anything How? that's non-essential. 
How can a but, big old company like Netflix but, not even find new jobs for these women, though? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's right, just like, yeah. they're writers. They're talented writers. Right, yeah. You've got tens of thousands of employees writing original content all the time. You can even, like, find a new place for them to go. That just, to me, seems yeah, amazing. Yeah, and, and it's, it shows to me there is probably an air of panic within the company because this is obviously a rush job. Like, this is obviously, like, the numbers have been announced within a week or two. Yes. Boom, every, you're getting a letter saying that you're gone. Do you know what I'm saying? So some, there's obviously been an executive order that said, listen, find us some money. We've got to get rid of people. We've got to do layoffs, right? But yeah, I hope all those individuals find a job. Pocketjobs.com to plug. (laughs) (laughs) It might be something there for you. So let's talk Web3. This is a very... Sorry, what's Web3 again? (laughs) I have no idea. If someone can explain to me what Web3 is, I'll pay them a lot of money. You know what? So basically, Board Ape Yacht Club, which is like one of the most popular NFT projects also a complete mystery to me also um got in, run into a bit of trouble so it's run by a company called yuga labs they have actually raised a lot of venture capital recently i think about two three hundred million dollars and basically now they're figuring out how do we kind of turn board at yacht clubs into a viable business and one of the ideas they came up with was building a game and they are now trying to sell land in this gaming world as nft tokens so this is to me this is it feels best scamish so what happened is yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is that like their forthcoming multiplayer game is called Other Side. And when they launched these NFTs to buy land in a place that doesn't really exist, it so overcharged Ethereum. It was so much demand yeah. that actually the gas fees went to like an extortionate level where people were paying more for gas fees than they were for the actual token. Yeah. Now, if I said these like words to you and what I just explained two years ago, three years ago, you would have looked at me like an alien. I so, get confused though. <laughs> yeah, like what's going on? Where is the real application for Web3 now? Where is it? So I've got to be this person. I've got to be the grown up in a room and say to everyone, what the F is going on? Where's the real world application? I was told decentralization, there's no more fees. We don't know we, the middlemen are, are being greedy. They're taking all the fees. Of the Ethereum gas fees are like astronomical. This obviously hasn't been figured out yet. Come back to me in three years. That's what I'm saying, isn't it? Come <laughs> back to I'm me in really, five years. Do I'm, do done. Do I'm done. I'm done. Do you know what I'm really confused about? So we talked about Bill Gates having a short position on Tesla like last week, but basically right. this yeah, idea yeah, yeah. that like you can place a bet that the price of something will fall. And if that price right. falls, yeah, yeah. you win. Yep. And a part of me just wonders like, okay, that overwhelming sale of land in the Bourdais world, virtual world, yeah. right? Oh, how, what was like the number? It was like hundred million dollars worth of yeah, uh, something in 123 that million dollars worth of transactions happening to buy virtual lands of- no, no 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 hold on it was 123 million dollars of gas fees alone it wasn't oh the total that were, those were the fees that people pay just to execute transactions on the ethereum blockchain what? which is wild so the total number of transactions was, was much much higher okay um, but yeah as so you 123 on, million just in, tr- in processing fees and also like at some point we need to do a deep dive on like who is getting that money because i need to get in on that um so anyway <laughs> you've got the like a gas fees and you've got the actual nfts themselves but a part of me is just wondering like all of that behavior like you you, you cannot tell me in confidence that 100 even 80 percent of those people are holding onto those assets right like mm-hmm. some advanced level investor games are happening right and by advanced i just mean like more <laughs> complicated than just buying and holding or buying and like yeah. selling a few months down the line i feel like people are putting short bets on it people are trying to like sell it over really quickly like we probably have it's gambling basically. maybe even some institutional players posing as individual players to like benefit from like short gains and wins i don't know but all i'm saying is like yeah. this volume of activity cannot be justified or, or explained by just like individuals who like feel super bullish about like web three like something else is happening and that needs to be 
uncovered and and yeah. understood because this is still a super volatile space. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, sure, like lots of people are still sold on the vision of what Web three could be. Some people are not. Evan Spiegel of Snapchat saying that it's like this like amorphous thing that no one can quite describe and feels a bit tenuous. But anyway, it's concerning, and I personally am avoiding it. Like, I've mm-hmm. dabbled a little bit. I got my ENS domain. I've been like keeping up with the literature. I'm watching other people. I do not want to be an early adopter. Not even like late stage adopter. I'm happy to be a luddite on this, mm-hmm. but it just feels, especially with all the other macroeconomic events happening, it just feels so scary. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny actually, because um, high risk, obviously high risk. And obviously they're trying to make it into a game or they're trying to sell land in this kind of virtual metaverse gaming world they want to create now to me now yeah when i was a kid when i played games to me it was to escape the real world in it the real world is obviously capitalism money cutthroat shit yeah now you're telling me i'm gonna go into a game and they're like you can't go there because that guy bought that piece of land for 100 million you ain't got 100 million you can't play that part of the game i'm like bro what do you want me to do real <laughs> life is hard enough i want to escape the real world i want to escape the economy let me just so have fun true. here but it's like no this person owns like what are we gonna be surfs in the game or am i gonna be like digging your land for you Make it make sense. I don't I understand know. any of this. I'm sorry, man. And I agree with you. Like, there's a lot of Fugazi stuff happening. So, for example, what people were doing with, with NFTs were you would list the NFT for a million pounds. You would buy it yourself. So, you, you list it yourself. You buy it to yourself. So, you trade it in between both accounts. Yeah. And then some fool comes in and buys it for like 500k thinking they've got it for a discount. But mm. actually, it's been, they call it wash trading. So, there's a lot of that that's been going on. Saying like, I just, just be careful, everyone. That's all I'm saying. Just be careful. I had friends when it was all about the initial coin offerings, leaving good jobs at big tech companies at, you know, scale-ups to go join these companies because they'd just done an ICO, you know, raised hundreds of millions, bought a big fancy office, hired a lot of jobs. Literally within months, my friends were looking for jobs again because they were just like, we didn't have no business model. And the conversation moved on. And I think it's really scary. The other thing I want to know is like, sorry, who are Yuga Labs? Because I'm on their crunch base trying to find out. And I'm just like- Yuga Labs is basically a company that's been formed around the board at Yelp Club, NFTs. Basically, these are the guys that minted it, I guess, and created the, created the character and the, and the IP. But are they the um, next people that are, we're going to have like an Apple TV show about or like a Disney Prime show about? Yeah, because a part of me is years, like, yeah, where have definitely. they come from? Definitely. Do they have the domain expertise to like scale a business? Do they have yeah. like the sensibilities to like manage that inflow of cash appropriately? Because like this is exactly how we are the problem people. Okay, this is how we are. I just want to say it's playing out in real time. A few years from now, everyone's going to be like, what happened to the Yuga Labs people? Where did that money go? Oh, this guy's flying around on a yacht. This guy's starting Fire Festival 2.0. I don't even know. We did this. We did this. I mean, I personally did <laughs> not do Don't blame me, I'm not involved. Yeah, exactly. Don't blame me, I'm not involved. y'all did this because y'all are out there. <laughs> so last week I was doing my thing, hanging out in the tech Twitterverse as we do. And Tyler Tringas of Calm Fund basically retweeted this tweet from Shil Monat, which said the number one biggest COVID beneficiary may be 27-year-old Johnny Bufarha, the CEO of mm-hmm. Hopin, that mm-hmm. virtual events platform. Some of you might have been to some events around on Hopin, who cashed out on, <clears throat> just got to clear my throat so I get this number right, 195 million US dollars. <laughs> In secondary <laughs> sales of his own shares of his own company at the peak. I repeat, people, 195 million US dollars of a company which has now since had some significant layoffs and um, going through an existential crisis, right? Because guess what? The world's opened back up again. And as it turns out, people don't like virtual events as much as they liked IRL events. Yep. 
Um, so you, you actually met my man, didn't you? You met the dude many moons ago. So explain that story because you, you said it on Tekish a while ago, but it's, I think you've got a personal connection to the story. So I think it's like, this is where I just wanted to like highlight the gap between the values that many leaders in tech and beyond say they hold, the values they say guide their actions and the actual values that guide their actions that they don't want to talk about, i.e. greed and yeah. fear of missing out. So early 2020, okay, pre-pandemic, I was still working at Product Hunt. We were getting ready to run our Makers Festival. And we had this idea of hosting it online, right? And this was mm -hmm. actually like, not because we thought the pandemic was coming, but rather we wanted to make yeah. it as inclusive as possible to our global community, different time zones, et cetera. And Hopin was a platform that we were thinking about running it off of. And I had this meeting with Johnny and it was super interesting because you know how it is, like it, it, there's so many similarities between like the tech world and the music world. Like at the time, like Johnny was basically like the darling, like the star, right? He, he was right. the star of the startup scene in the sense that he had this platform, the world looked like it was about to close. He'd already had like an amazing round led by whatever amazing fund and people were scrambling to get onto his cap table. What I mean is like people yeah. were scrambling to be one of the investors in that round of funding. Now, at the time, he must have been like, what, mid, early to mid 20s. And he was kind of just like sharing with me his like story because he's just like so many other people out there in the world making stuff happen, creating stuff, built this thing and suddenly it's exploded. You know, at the time mm -hmm. we were talking, he was like, I don't even know how we're going to run these events, right? Because wow. we're literally still scaling. It kind of reminded me of like the HBO show Silicon Valley. Like, you know, you're about to pitch tech, tech crunch disrupt, but you actually don't even know if your program's going to work, that kind of thing. And he was saying, and this is what I found really disturbing because his round was already oversubscribed, i.e. more people wanted to invest in it than there yeah. were shares available to sell them for that money. He now had people showing up to his parents' house with term <laughs> sheets, okay? As in oh, actual Lord. employees of investment funds were like, stalking him this is what he told talk to me. your son talk to your son stalking <laughs> him stalking his family to get in on the deal first of all boundaries people if someone doesn't want to talk to you like no means no do you know what i mean like yeah, wow secondly the actual sheer greed it's like what's even motivating you to come in on this deal now like you haven't had meetings you haven't seen like you know, like have you done your due diligence or are you just like yeah. oh everyone's in on it we got to get in on it so that's what i just found was actually crazy but like they just dominated the news of fundraising during the pandemic. I mean, don't get me wrong. Lots of people raised during the pandemic, fine. But everyone was just like, oh, Hoppins raised another round. Hoppins raised another round. That valuation just kept climbing, climbing, climbing. Unicorn status, mm. boom. Now, what I find really interesting is that like, typically investors don't want to make cash available to founders right away, right? Because what's their incentive, right? You need to hold mm -hmm. them into the business. Just like employees, their equity needs to vest over time. You want to create those milestones for them to reach to incentivize them. That said, we've seen where investors make exceptions to the rule. Clubhouse, mm -hmm. famously, you know, we talked about it on the show. Lots of investors wanted to lead that round when Clubhouse was still hot, private beta. And in the end, I believe Andreessen Horowitz ended up leading it. Yeah, $4.2 billion valuation, something along that line. One, because they were like managed to get all the celebrities they know to like hang out with the founders. Yeah. And then secondly, they gave them an immediate cash payout of like yeah. 2 million per founder or something like that. So anyway, it's very rare, but it does happen. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, who are we? tech world I don't know. as an industry. I'm sorry, but who are we? We're posers, we're fakers, and we're liars. Not all the time, but right, yeah, oftentimes yeah, yeah. to serve our interests, 
we're going to do outlandish, ridiculous things because we're greedy, because we're afraid of missing out. And the Hoppin story is a story about that. Look, I respect everything that he and that team managed to do. Like that short window of time where we collaborated together, I was like, this guy's smart. He's got smart people around him. Yeah. Timing is everything. And this is a fantastic example of like, yeah, how that plays out. Sad for the employees that joined the dream and then got laid off because they don't get that benefit of a cash payout. But you could argue that they didn't take that risk at the time that he did. I don't know. But all I'm saying is this is a crazy world we live in. The fact that a, a product that maybe had product market fit still kind of has product market fit, but is seriously losing like market share as macroeconomic climate changes. The fact that someone still made nearly $200 million in cash monies out mm-hmm. of that. I mean, it kind of goes back to that conversation we were having before. Like, I'm not going to pretend a part of me is not impressed. I'm not going to pretend because I'm impressed. Damn. Yeah, listen, good for you. He, he, Don't hate the player. Man- <laughs> he manifested 200 mil. It's, it was astonishing though, how many investors though looked at the pandemic and said, we're never going back to normal. This is the new world forever and ever. And like right. that assessment turned out to be completely wrong because now we are kind of going back to normal and the valuations of like Zoom, for example, and Hopin are probably going to reflect that, right? But like you said, I think the fact that employees are unable to sell secondary shares, I find quite irksome. Yeah. Similar story w- happened in the WeWork story, which is documented in the show We Crashed, where basically, you know, the founder made out like a bandit basically and was able to sell consistently throughout that process. And employees were waiting for the IPO. And then when the IPO didn't happen or when the valuation was cut in half, they were basically screwed they were underwater so that has to be fixed and it's astonishing how times change i remember actually there was an app called secret it was a very like simple app where basically you just would leave like an anonymous message and the founders basically sold their secondaries for like two million and at the time we were like oh my lord they made two million dollars and they haven't really done nothing like that and the app ended up disappearing into nothingness this dude sold 200 million and this is like (laughs) within the space of like six seven years difference it's amazing yeah vcs got played that's the thing they got played. They, the, the played, got played. They played themselves. Come on. They played themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't get played. They played themselves. And this is the thing, like, it's complicated, okay? I'm not going to pretend it's complicated. And I'm out there, like, trying to, like, other them. I myself am an angel investor, okay? So I'm oh, not yeah. trying to act like, oh, my God, all investors are bad. All investors are evil. But what I am trying to say is some of them acting like they're all correct and stuff, living their values, doing their thing. But when push comes to shove, they're happy to waive all those best practices that apparently stop them from investing in underrepresented people. All of the Mm -hmm. numerous reasons why the number of black women and other people of color and LGBT plus and trans and whatever. There's no money for that. No money for that. But when a, you know, shiny new hot deal is on the table, everything can go in order to get money in that in that deal and that's yeah, where you know i'm what? just a bit like mm, you, 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 part of it is also explained by the fact that i remember reading in peter till's book zero to one and he was looking at his investment fund and he realized that like there were certain rounds of facebook where he didn't want to invest because it was too expensive and basically there's a distribution within your investments where there's always one company that ends up paying off the entire fund and it doesn't make a difference what valuation you, you invest that if that company ends up becoming the next facebook the next google the next tesla whatever whatever forget valuation so people are investing in these hot companies thinking that these are going to be the next, you know, decade defining company, basically. So forget valuations. We've all just got a pile in basically. And actually when you do the numbers, sometimes it works out because of the fact that you might end up and strike an Uber, for example. But anyways, yeah, shout out to my VCs that got played. (laughs) Shout out to my man who played them. Yo, everyone, that's been this week's Techish. Thank you for listening. Hit us up on hashtag Techish or at TechishPod to leave us your thoughts. Um, leave a review as always. And me and Abba will catch you next week. Lots of love. Ciao. Bye. Bye-bye.